This is an interesting one to talk about. This is an episode that they shipped around a lot. Like, they just couldn't get a handle on it. They knew the basic premise. There's a character, there's this telepath race, the character has this really dark secret, and as a consequence, they're, like, trauma, dying, etc. There's the episode. And the first thing they were pointing this at was Crusher, actually, which didn't work out. And apparently they tried it with basically everyone else, too, which also didn't work out. It wasn't until someone suggested the idea of bringing Loxana in that they were like, Oh yeah, that works perfectly. Although you'll notice, once again, we are introducing another family member we never knew a character had before. Not the first time this season has done that, and not the last. Echeveria also had to do another pass on this one, like he has for basically every episode so far. This poor guy, he had to have been cranking out scripts. God, can you imagine, like, working on, like, eight or nine episodes a day? That'd be terrible. Anyways. <clears throat> Braga was also very upset, because he was working on phantasms at this point. He's like, wait, no! I want to work on that! That sounds like... Okay, fine, whatever. This is also interesting because this is Kirsten Dunst, which I don't know if I'm pronouncing her name right. Uh, she plays the little alien girl, and uh, she she was already kind of starting her path as a uh, as a child actress. Weird thought of the day. She is four months older than I am. Just random thought. Anyways, <clears throat> it's just always weird when I see someone I think of as a child actor, and they're actually my age or older than me. Like, look at how old Will Wheaton is sometime. Yeah. Anywho, this was actually uh, just before, about a year before Interview with a Vampire, which was probably her big breakout role. I, we all know Star Trek is what really catapulted her to, to success. <laughs> actually, it is weird. If you if you sit back and look at how many uh, large stars really did get their start in Star Trek, as guest actors, as guest actors. But anyways, I'm going to have topic. So we've got the telepath people, right? Okay, the telepathians. I forget their name. They aren't done right. I hate to say that so bluntly, but I, I really do believe they made a misstep with designing these people, or eh, presenting these people. The design is okay. I'm willing to forgive that. They communicate telepathically to each other in a way that basically is just a, a barrage of images and ideas. Okay, I'm with that. Uh, they also don't have mind control. Now, that's important because of the Babylon 5 problem. Um, basically, the idea is intelligence is not actually an evolutionary uh, guarantee. To, to, to put it simply, this is getting a little off topic, but the, the, the base idea is intelligence is developed when other things fail. If you have the ability to mind control someone, statistically speaking, you will not develop intelligence, evolutionarily speaking, because you don't need it. You can just control animals and then eat them because you are controlling their minds. And there will be, never be a need for evolution to step in and allow some part of you to develop better because it's not necessary. You're already at the peak of development, right? It's just a concept. But here, this is not mind control. This is mind communication. So, okay, I'm with that. The problem is the gentleman <laughs> who's actually... I wrote down his name, Maquis. Maquis. Um... Macquies. I have my own pronunciation guide. I don't know how to pronounce it. Dude, uh, he does what I'm doing right now. And I know what you're thinking, what? Or you're listening to the MP3 version. See, here's the thing. Uh, we communicate in a lot of ways. We use language. We use tone. 
we use pacing and structure, we also use our faces and our bodies. Now, I kind of differentiate those two, but it's all basically body language. Let me try and explain this. So I'm going to try, so what I'm going to do is I'm now going to talk to you using nothing other than the language that I am speaking. As you might imagine, this does not actually convey much in the way of information, given the circumstances. This is because we as human beings have spent brilliance of years, rough number, figuring out how to communicate in ways in addendum to just the language we're speaking. My favorite example of this is the words, excuse me, or excuse me. Excuse me. You know, there's lots of different ways you can say the exact same words and mean something different. The problem here is these people also use body language and tonal inflection to communicate. They shouldn't. In all honesty, I would actually, I know this would sound off, but I think it would work better if the director had guided them to basically be a flat piece of cardboard. You know, almost data-like, like watch Spiner and how he communicates. And, you know, uh, obviously you have to look at people to see them, but there shouldn't be any facial expression. There shouldn't be any body language because none of that is necessary when all of what you're communicating just goes directly to the person. Maybe if you really have a lot of trust in your actor, you could have them do fake body language, like the stuff that they are learning from Loxana, just like the words. They, now, I want to give praise to the actor. He does a good job with the, the tonality of it, the uncertainty of communication. He does a good job with that. It's just, he does all these other things that shouldn't be, do, be, be being done, in my opinion. I know that's a minor nitpick, but I just mentioned it because I do actually find the species kind of fascinating as a concept. Naturally, we'll never hear from them ever again, because it's a Star Trek. <laughs> um, you'll notice Loxana starts having issues very early on, by the way. And it's as soon as he, she sees Kirsten Dunst, which, yeah, that makes sense. Um... There's also a line where they mention there's no subtext or trickery in their communication. Now, that's a fun one. Um, I'm going to use an example from an episode not too long ago, uh, Interface. Jordy comes in, and Data says, Ah, are you in need of, of comforting? And Jordy says, No, I was just walking by. Oh, okay. Now, that's a lie. What Jordy's trying to get is for Data to demonstrate how much he cares by pushing harder in order to reach out to him and allow him to open up more naturally. That's a pretty normal human interaction, and as I pointed out in the episode one, the data should have already known at that point, but whatever, moving on. That kind of subtext, reading between the lines, reading between the letters, is so second nature to most people that I, I, I imagine most human beings don't even think about it. How many? Let me use a very typical example. How many times have you been asked by someone that cares about you, how are you, how are you doing, because they're concerned, and you say, I'm fine. And you say that with every intent and mentality to convey that you are very not fine, that, you, that things are not cool. And, of course, how they react to that kind of depends. <laughs> right? Anyways, just some interesting thoughts, because I, I do find the idea of this species fascinating. I think this could be a good way to portray a very alien race that doesn't look alien, but is alien in their culture, their communication, because... There's just so much you could do with communication. Anyways, I'm getting off topic. So, Loxana mentions, she breaks down a bit, and, and Troy's like, oh my god, are you okay? Quick note. Loxana has been kind of not pleasant in her run on TNG. 
And this is something I've complained about basically every time she's shown up. I've said it before and I've said it again. I actually like Majel Barrett. I do not like Loxana Troy, kind of. But having redone both DS9, at this point we're in Season 7 of DS9. Her last appearance was in Season 4. So as of this episode, I have now seen all of Loxana Troy in TNG and Deep Space Nine. And I can safely say that from memory, the bad was overwhelming the good, but it shouldn't. She was fine on DS9, and this was a good episode here in TNG. She actually is better than I remembered, mostly because I, would, I remembered the bad more than I remembered the good. And I really did despise her early presentation in this show. She was just obnoxious and overbearing and awful. Rude. Very, very rude. Here, though, we start to see another shade of her. And we start to un and unfold. And interestingly enough, this is basically a Luxana-focused episode. Even though Deanna's the one who takes the point for, for the main characters, we don't really learn a lot about Troy. We learn a lot about Luxana. I also... She mentions how she's worried about her. Now, this is tying into a point. They're still bickering, just like always. Picard is like, ugh. Worf actually tr starts to correct her that his name is not Woof. And he actually catches himself and just resigns himself to be like, okay, fine, whatever. And Troy herself is just exasperated, like, oh my god, really, mother? But the moment something real comes up, all that goes away. Picard is fully dedicated to trying to help her. Troy is completely concerned and worried about her. Everyone completely shifts tone on that, because that makes sense, doesn't it? There's a difference between someone you actually legitimately despise and someone you find irritating but you still care about. Uh, some people would say that's the definition of family. Now, I disagree. But you can understand, and I do like the way they present that. And, of course, Loxana's fears are founded. This episode really helps to shine a light on why she has been so pushing to Deanna this entire show so far. Pushing her to get married, pushing her to have children, and worrying over her constantly. Not just because she's a mother, but because she's a mother who's already lost someone. And her remaining daughter works in Starfleet. Now, remind me, how did the, how did Ian, Troy, how did he die again? Yeah. Troy works a dangerous job. And she's on the Enterprise, which actually makes it more dangerous than usual. I actually legitimately think that Loxana lives in more or less constant fear of someday getting that message. And I would imagine that a lot of the things she does to escape from that fear explains a lot of why she just kind of whirlwinds her way through the galaxy. Because, my God, you know? So, <clears throat> this leads to a, a, a cute little moment where they understand what the concept of privacy is. And that makes sense, because after all, these people don't have words. It's actually a nice little bit of literary trickery. It's okay. It's not full-on cheating. But basically, if Troy could just talk in full normal communication with the, the guy who's totally not in her all, by the way, you notice it's the same actor. Clearly, the Romulans have started this whole new plot. Anyways, <clears throat> if, if he could just communicate, this, this episode would have been fixed at like the 10-minute mark. Instead, they have to bumble their way to devising the answer because they can't communicate directly. Now, this then leads to Loxana absolutely erupting at Riker. Now, this is a good scene because this is what Loxana actually feels, unrestrained. Now, I don't mean that in any way as a negative on her. I don't. 
we as human beings have a lot of things that we keep under check, keep on chain and leash. Um, instincts or feelings or buried emotions or whatever, that if we're being honest, we don't really feel. We don't really mean that. But if it was unleashed, well, you kind of see the idea here. This is something that fiction actually analyzes every now and again with these kind of concepts. What would happen if, if your subconscious or your buried thoughts or controlled ideologies were completely unrestrained, right? Part of being a part of civilization and society is due to the fact that we have understandings and comprehensions across each other. That we don't just do whatever comes naturally because the idea here is we're not animals. I mean, I mean yes, technically we're animals, but you know what I mean. We're, we're not mere beasts. That we are more than something that just walks around and does whatever our instincts tell us to. That we have something and maybe something else that helps us to guide and regulate that, right? Careful management, careful operation. Instincts aren't necessarily bad, after all. So we see here all of this rage and fire and fury at Riker, which makes perfect sense. Remember, not too long ago, Second Chances, we found out that Troy was pretty heartbroken when Riker decided to pick his career over her. Which is funny, because both Rikers did that. Men, am I right? Anyways, <laughs> but... I bring this up because you can't tell me that Troy didn't call her mother over that one. That she didn't pour her heart out over that one. And you can't tell me that Loxana hasn't privately resented Riker all these years for the fact that he broke her, her daughter's heart. For the fact that he didn't decide to marry Troy and didn't decide to make a, a life out of that. Now, does she really think that? No. That's not her. This gets down to actually a bit of definition. So in my opinion, no. It, it's like the whole idea that what you say when you're drunk is what you really feel. I've never agreed with that. I know this is a matter of debate, not fact. But in my opinion, that's just part of the equation. One small slice of a much more complex pie. You can't just look at one little variable and use that to deduce the truth, right? unless you're in politics. You need to look at the entire gamut, the whole array of information, and then try to deduce from that. So does Troy, that is to say, does Loxana have some resentment for Riker? Absolutely. But does she have this kind of vitriol for him? No, I don't think so. You'll also notice, by the way, Major Barrett does a just absolutely amazing performance this episode. I noticed this on DS9, which again, we've covered prior to now where she shows off the fact that she can actually act, which is awesome, because it's it's just so much of a, of a relief from early TNG, Loxana. And she does a really good job. She's very subdued, while at the same time being very her. It's, it's just a wonderful presentation. I just wanted to praise it overall. So, this then leads to the idea of uh, trauma, and how much that can cause literal physical danger to a telepath. That makes so much sense. Again, I wish this idea had been expounded upon. We find out in the future that Vulcans have the ability to basically kill themselves with their minds if something goes wrong up there. This actually was brought up in TOS, even. It's just because of the fact that their brain is so amazingly powerful that it's also a very dangerous tool that, if improperly used or regulated or whatever, can self-lobotomize, basically. I think the same thing could and should apply to a telepath. If, if someone who is telepathic 
who has that kind of a developed mind goes through something truly traumatic, it's the kind of thing that can cause them literal physical aim, uh, ailment. I, I like that idea. It, there's a fascinating topic there. There's a lot that could be developed from that. It never will be. <laughs> but this is a, a fascinating insight. And again, a cool concept going forward. It, there's a lot of cool concepts in this episode. No wonder Braga wanted to get his fingers on this one. So she decides, okay, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to beam into it. Now, the episode makes one mistake. It is probably the only big mistake of the whole episode. There's this scene where Maquis shows up, which I think is how it's supposed to be pronounced. And it's all dark, and he just shows up. And he does the creepy glare at Loxana, and then cut to black. Then it comes back from the commercial break, and oh yeah, no, I was trying to help. God, I hate it. I hate it when Star Trek does that. I, every time it happens, I just kind of go, <laughs> God, I hate it when they pull that crap. I really do. I don't even, like, even understanding the reasoning behind it, I still don't agree with it. There are other ways to keep people from wandering away at the commercial break. <sighs> Anyways, after the, 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 the fake out, which lasts ten seconds... He starts doing the creepy glare again. By the way, this actor is really good at doing the creepy glare. Does he have to look so creepy? Anyways. <clears throat> so she enters uh, Loxana's mind. First, I keep wanting to call her Majel. She <laughs> enters Loxana's mind. And first thing she sees is Picard. This is Each of these defense layers is actually quite amusing in its own right. First, oh, yes, no, this is too dangerous. You need to be ordered away. So that's more of a uh, illusion trying to manipulate. That doesn't work. So then she tries something to provoke an emotional response, the wolf. Which actually, there was a real wolf, and they actually filmed it for several these sections. They just kind of did you know, cross-cuts so the actors weren't in danger. Funnily enough, they actually, um, what they did, this is just a really cool little thing, in order to get the sound effect of the wolf you know, sounding all doomy, they just had the wolf, gave it some food, and then made a move as if they were going to take the food away from it, which, uh, yeah, that will cause that kind of thing to happen. As I've talked about many times, an animal, especially a wild animal, if it thinks you're a threat to its food source, will immediately attack, uh, or at the very least be very dangerous. So, yeah, that, that, I'm with that. Anyways, just cool little thing. See Telltale Season 2 uh, of Walking Dead for a good example of that. So... Second defense, emotional response, uh, trying to evoke fear. That doesn't work, so Troy's still there. So then she tries honey. She conjures up her images of Ian, Troy's father. This one's mean. This one's just straight up mean. Like, here, here's all this stuff that you never knew, and here's all these things that you ever wanted. There, this, this is insidious in its own way, and it's probably why it comes so close to working. Credit to Marina Sirtis as well. She does a good job of portraying someone who is emotionally just being ripped to shreds by having to interact with this. But she finally manages to push herself out, and this is when Loxana comes in and just brute forces her right out of her mind. It's the final defense. Nope. I cast Shield Wall. Plong! You know? It's also probably the most memorable part of the episode for me, and just in terms of sheer mean. Like, when I think of this episode, the first thing that comes to mind is Loxana screaming at the top of her lung, Get out! It's, it's a very powerful moment. So then they go to look in the files to figure out what the hell happened. This is kind of a filler scene, because they don't really say anything new. And all they're doing is saying, There's no choice, there's no solution, there's no nothing. Nothing's happened in the last five years. 
It takes Picard to be like, well, what happened before five years ago? And then within seconds, he discovers the discrepancy. Seconds. <sighs> Anyways, whatever. Moving on. I only have one note for the upcoming scenes. And it literally just says, wow, in all caps. It's kind of shaky because I was literally crying when I watched it. This scene is very, it, it's very powerful. Majel Barrett does an absolutely amazing job of portraying someone who is absolutely devastated, not just because of the loss of a child, but because she firmly believes it is her fault. The worst part is it could be argued that it is actually her fault. And I'm not saying that to cast aspirations. I'm saying that to show sympathy. How would that feel? I, I can't even imagine how that would feel. I really can't. And she just is, is pouring her heart out over this. And it's no wonder this is the kind of thing that would sit and fester and rot. And, of course, this then makes everything make so much sense about Loxana Troy, about how terrified she is for, for, for Deanna Troy, about how she's desperately constantly trying to focus on her family and doting on her remaining daughter and, well, frankly, being overbearing. It's because of the fact that she already lost one and she cannot bear the thought of anything happening to the only one that remains. Especially after losing her husband. It's also interesting because this shines a light into her interactions with Odo over on DS9. At first she just pursues him in her usual way, kind of like the flirty Picard stuff. But over time it got to the point where she actually had a real connection with Odo. And no wonder. The woman who came to grips with this trauma who was able to open herself to concepts and experiences beyond just, you know, the way she's been presented to date. The idea of actually reaching out to someone as unique and special as Odo, there's something powerful in that. This is the last Loxana Troy episode we'll be covering. This is it. Uh, her actual chronological last appearance was back in Season 4 of DS9 Muse, as I mentioned earlier, or The Muse or whatever. Having, and I just wanted to do a final thing here, because I think this is actually a pretty good way to go, for her, relatively speaking. Um, it took a while for them to find themselves on her character, but I mean, the same thing could be said of Picard. You remember season one Picard? He was a dick. <laughs> and I like that, that she got the chance to grow and develop into a real character, and I have to say that I'm actually more fond of her now than I actually ever have been in my entire life. It's one of the reasons I like doing these ruminations and re-examining re these old things. Video games and shows and movies, both. That's three things. All of those <laughs> is because of the fact that you get to have a new understanding and appreciation for things that never really clicked before. I'd like to end this particular rumination with a request, if you guys don't mind sharing. What do you think about Loxana Troy, having taken in the gamut, the, the full breadth of how she was presented across both franchises? She didn't actually have that many appearances. In fact, I think she has less than Q, if you want to count numbers. But I think they did a good job with at least half of those. And that's better than you could say for Q. <laughs> Thank you all for, for joining me. I hope you enjoyed. I'll see you next time, guys.